Before we open up our, our Bibles, would you uh, please just pause a minute and, and uh, ask the Lord's blessing on our time here. Let's pray. Father, it is uh, so easy to open up our Bibles, but who can open up the heart except you? And so we just want to pause here, Lord, and ask that you would speak to us. We need your living word to speak into the darkness and the death of our lives so that we would live out the hope that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, we just ask and pray that you would make your word live to us and bless the reflection, the meditation, and the proclamation of your word even this day. We ask this all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, 13. 1 Corinthians 13. Um, a passage that uh, if you've been in the church for any length of time are probably somewhat familiar with. 1 Corinthians uh, 13. Um, this is uh, the, the great uh, passage, um, poetical in nature, lyrical in, in format. Um, it's a celebration of, of love, and it's a, a call to the church to live out um, love, live out the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, so, um, as I was thinking, um, with not a lot of time, I, I got a phone call yesterday morning, um, but uh, I was thinking uh, this might be, might be good um, to, to look at both in this uh, week of preparation that you have um, in light of the coming Lord's Supper, uh, but also then to, to dovetail it um, with what we want to be looking at later on this afternoon um, as uh, we continue in our study. So, um, of 1 Corinthians 13. I'll, I'll explain this in a minute, but basically we're going to be um, looking at verses 4 and 5. Um, just verses 4 and 5. Um, you're like, okay, this morning, what are we going to look at this evening? Um, 4 and 5. So we're not, we're not going very far. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of digging. This actually was intended to be a mini-series at, at Bethel um, before our intern came for the summer, and he's come for the summer. I think he blessed you uh, last Sunday evening, and the little mini-series that I intended, like three sermons, four sermons on 1 Corinthians 13, kind of ballooned into a much longer sermon series. So be that as it may, there's a lot to look at here, and trust that the Lord will bless um, us all as we turn our attention to his word. So I'm not just going to read 4 and 5, we're going to read the whole chapter together, okay? So this is God's word to you as people. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 
When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. The the danger and the challenge of reading just one chapter, be it any chapter in, in any book, and, and then saying, this is where we're going to do our study. This is where we're going to be camping out both morning and afternoon. It, is that you lose a certain sense of the context in which the chapter was, was written. And that danger and that challenge is no greater than with the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. Um, when, when I was... Uh, married some 30 years ago. This was kind of the passage that it seemed like all of, all of uh, my friends anyway were saying like, okay, you know, the pastor says, what passage do you want to be focused on for the wedding service? And it seemed like every wedding that you went to, right, it's 1 Corinthians 13. I don't know if that's still a thing or not, but at least 30 years ago when I was getting married, it was kind of a thing, right? It was the, it was the chapter that just kind of everyone picked. It's the love chapter. So, of course, you're going to focus on, on chapter 13. And in fact, it is. It is the love chapter. We just, we just read it. That's as plain as the nose on your face. But maybe what is not quite as obvious is the context in which this chapter comes. It absolutely, positively has all kinds of things to say into all the relationships that we have, not least of all the marriage relationship. But having said that, the, the Corinthians didn't get this letter from the Apostle Paul and they're like flipping through it and they come to chapter 13 like, finally, a chapter that we can like celebrate in all the marriages that we've been blessed with as a Corinthian congregation. It's not how they came to the 13th chapter. It, it came to them as a rebuke. Everything that love is called to be You are not. (laughs) They are fighting with each other. They are bickering with each other. They're they're gossiping against each other. They're forming their little little power groups within the Corinthian church as to to this view that we hold, that 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 group over there in the church doesn't hold. And and, and there are all these divisions and factions within the life of the church. And, And they were especially seen, speaking of Lord's Supper, they were especially seen at the Lord's Supper where we're to celebrate the unity that we have in Jesus Christ because of the love that we've been given in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and yet, they, they turn the celebration of the love of Christ into just another way to express their disdain for people that they had within the church. So Paul writes this 13th chapter in a context, a congregational context, where they were not living out the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's very important to understand. The idea of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not living out the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when we come to this word love, it's not like you're like, 
okay, the word love, that's like a uniquely kind of church word. So you have justification, you have propitiation, you have love. Like these are all just like church words. You just never use those words out in the world. Like, no, we use the word love all the time in the world. We hear it all the time. It's not, it's not like the church has like a unique corner on this word love. So we need to very much understand what Paul is talking about here in the context of saying, church. You need to live like the church. You need to root what you do in love. Okay, well, what does that mean, love? Well, as maybe you know, again, if you've been in the church for any length of time, you you probably know that the word that is used here in the 13th chapter and, and is most widely used in the New Testament is the Greek word agape. This is the most widely used term for love in the New Testament. It was not the most beloved term in the Greco-Roman world. Because the term for love means to sacrifice self. It's a love that's rooted in not the merits of the one who is being expressed love, but the simple joy of being able to show love. It's unconditional. It's unmerited. It is self-sacrificing. And in a Greco-Roman world where it was all about me, myself, and I, this was not a kind of love that was considered to be virtuous. They, They understood it. They recognized it. But they didn't celebrate it. Paul says in the church, this is what we celebrate. Why? Because our God is, 1 John 4, agape. His love shown to us is not conditioned on us. It is self-sacrificing, unmerited love that we've received. Paul is saying, therefore then, if you've received this, then you need to show this. So if you have your Bibles open, look at what we read the first three verses. The Corinthians thought that they were all that in a bag of chips, right? They, they, they thought that they were They were God's gift to the Christian community. They were proud and they were arrogant. We tick all the right boxes. We understand spirituality. We have a certain maturity. And and, and we've arrived, right? Kind of stuck out their chests a little bit. We're a part of the Corinthian church. We're not a part of those yahoos down there. We're, we're, We're here. This is who we are. And so Paul, in the first three verses, describes what is the equivalent to this super kind of Christian. Again, if you know anything about the book of Corinthians, you know that they they love the fact that they could speak in tongues. So where does he begin? What does he say? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, what? I'm nothing. And then he goes on and on to build this kind of super kind of spiritual Christian. Someone that you look at like, that is the epitome of Christianity. But if you have not love, you're nothing. Well then, how is love supposed to show itself? 
first three verses, he shows the emptiness of our lives. Despite having this supposed fullness, if there's no love, there's emptiness. Okay? All right. But then how is love supposed to act? How is it supposed to be lived out? And that's where I want to spend our time this morning and this afternoon. I want to look at two points between this morning and this afternoon. Love's insistence and love's resistance. Love's insistence and love's resistance. So again, if you have your Bibles open, look at verse 4, right? So again, he just showed us the emptiness of life without love. Now he gets into the kind of the, the characteristics, the description of the characteristic of a, of a love that's lived out. And, and, and there's a sense in which there's a, a positive and a negative. There's an insistence. There's a resistance. Let me change it to an illustration. There is a, there is a push and there's a pull. Or maybe to be fair to the text, there's a pull and there's a push. You're like, how is that an illustration? Okay. You know we have, we have pull muscles and we have push muscles, right? You know that? You didn't know that? You know that? Okay. Like, for example, kids, you, you, you know what a, a pull-up is, right? I didn't ask if you could do one. I just asked if you know what one is, right? A pull-up, right? You got, you got a bar, and, and you're like, like you, you grip the bar, and, and you have to what? You have to pull your body weight up. It's, it's, you're using pull muscles. You're, you're, you're pulling, right? You're pulling. You know, in order to be able to do that, you have to have some strength. So you need to exercise those pull muscles. Get your chin up over the bar. But then you also know there, there are push muscles that you have. You've heard of a push-up, right? Again, didn't ask if you to do one. Just asked if you know what one is. But, but you know, like, oh, they're kind of hard, right? Well, yeah, they're hard. That's why you've got to exercise. So, so you're on the ground. You've got you to do those triceps. You've got you to push the body up. Now you're using totally different muscles. And Paul is saying here now, Christians, you need to be exercised in the ways of the Spirit. It's not just about being nice people. It's about being God's people. It's about living out the Gospel. Which means, therefore, then, that you need to pull into your life, what? Positively, first part of verse 4, patience, kindness. He says, you need to pull this into your life. Because maybe it's not there. Hmm? How about that for a little bit of self-examination? Oh, no, no. My life just oozes with patience and kindness. Hmm. Said no one ever. But also, you've got to push some things. Push them away. What? Envy. Boasting. Arrogance. Rudeness, insistence on its own way, irritability, resentfulness. Huh. We're going to have to go over a lot of push exercises tonight. This morning, just two pull. Just two pull exercises. Patience, kindness. Love insists 
that in our lives we are not obeying Christ unless we are working out these whole muscles of patience, kindness. Let's take them in order. First of all, patience. What do we mean by patience? Well, before we get to its kind of definitional sense, let me just begin by saying that the word patience has baked into the, to the idea of the word two thoughts. That there are two assumptions with the idea of patience. And the first idea that's kind of baked into the idea of patience is that you, the person who's called to be patient, you're good. You're, you're where you need to be. You're where you want to be. Everything's fine with you. Right? And, and I'm not trying to set you up for something like, okay, he says we're good and everything's fine. Like, maybe it's not. No, no, I mean, like, you're, you're, you're kind of where you want to be. You're, you're where you need to be, at least at this point, right? It's kind of baked into the idea of patience. Because second of all, baked into the idea of patience is that the person with whom you have a relationship or a connection, they're not. So, so you're here, and here is a good place. They're here, not a good place, and you have a relationship, and you need to be together. Patience. Patience assumes that there is a kind of separation between the two that have a relationship. That you're at different spots. You need to be at the same spot, but you're not yet at that same spot. And notice Paul doesn't say here in our text, love waits. The word wait, I suppose, that's the same two assumptions built into it, right? If you've got to wait for someone, like, okay, I'm waiting. Like, maybe you even had that this morning. I don't know if your house is like my house sometimes on Sunday morning. Like, okay, I'm ready to go, and no one else in my house is ready to go, and I'm sitting in the car, and no one else is sitting in the car with me, and that's why I'm still in the garage, but there I am. Like, I am where I need to be. No one else is, but I'm where I need to be. And you're fighting the resistance or resisting the temptation, just like peep the horn and everything else. Like, okay, but Paul doesn't say here, love waits. He says, love, what? It's patient. In other words, he is speaking about an attitude. To simply wait is a kind of passive thing, a passive activity. But patience is active. It's an attitude that you choose to have while you wait. The question is, though, what does it mean to be patient? So the idea of patience has these assumptions built into it. It speaks of an attitude. But what does patience mean? The word for patience here means a willingness to suffer a long time. Or, put another way, to be long-suffering. To be patient means to be long-suffering. Now maybe you hear that and you're like, now that sounds like a Bible word. That, that sounds like a church word. Love? Yeah, I mean, you hear that all over the place, I guess. But, but long-suffering, that, that sounds like a, a, 
a church word, a Bible word, right? Think about that. Love insists on being willing to suffer whatever it costs me personally for the sake of another. Does that sound at all familiar? That sound kind of like the gospel. Sound kind of like how God still deals with you and me today. He didn't just wait for us, but is committed to being long suffering with us. He doesn't mock us for not being where we could be, should be. He guides us patiently, He leads us patiently, He disciples us patiently. Jesus, describing His own heart, says that He is lowly. He is gentle. He is patient. And you see, this is why without a knowledge of Christ's love, how are we ever going to show love? If we take our eyes off of Him, how are we ever going to love them? We're only going to look out with frustration at everyone who's not like me. And not where I'm at. And why aren't you here? Why aren't you ready yet? Spiritually. Why aren't you ready yet? Pride comes before the fall. And pride so often prevents us from being patient long-suffering, preparedness for great cost to come to us for the winning of someone else. Pride comes before the fall. And the fall here is forgetting who we are and how patient Christ has been with us. Second of all, though, the second idea that he speaks of here, just in terms of, again, this insistence, love insists that there needs to be this in my life, this flowing from my life, is kindness. Love is patient, and love is kind. The Greek word here for kindness means quite literally kindness. <laughs> How do you like that? It means kindness. I don't know how helpful that is. Kindness means kindness. Sometimes we have a hard time defining words, don't we? That we use all the time. Little kids ask us, Mom, Dad, what, what does that mean? Word that we use all the time, we're like, oh, yeah, what does that mean? How would I define that? I know it when I see it. There's something about kindness. How do you define it? We'll get there, but you certainly know it when you see it. You certainly know it when you experience it. We need to say more than that. Because what kindness is, is generosity. Kindness here speaks of generosity. It's being generous with your words, with your time, with your thoughts, 
with your consideration of someone else. And, and we usually see kindness and experience it as something completely and totally unexpected. We normally precede the, the, the expression of, of kindness with the word wow. Right? Wow! Really? That was kind? What? You, you, you just like out of the blue thought you'd text me an encouragement. Really? Wow, thank you for that. That was kind. You just out of the blue decided to, I don't know, give me a gift certificate or whatever. Like, wow. Like completely out of the blue. As though it's shocking. You're just kind of going your own way, doing your own thing, and someone just intervenes with this act of kindness that, that stops you in your tracks and makes you say, wow, thank you for that. Thank you very much. I didn't deserve that at all. I, like, I wasn't even, like, but shit, you did that. Shocking generosity. Shocking kindness. And I don't know about you, but I find this so hard. Because this morning's sermon is two words. And I can't get through two words. Patience, kindness. Without being absolutely convicted. That my pull muscles are so weak. And why are our pull muscles so weak. I think oftentimes it's rooted in the fact that our relationship to Jesus is so weak. We're like those plants maybe that we have in our homes. Maybe just my home. <laughs> so you've learned that I have a dusty home and I got plants that struggle. But anyway plant is alive, but it's wilting because I never managed to put it into the sun. I don't feed it what it needs to be fed. It's alive, but it's wilting because it's not in the sun. We're alive. We believe in Jesus. We received His salvation freely. But we're not growing because we're not in the sun. We're not taking in what it is that we have in belonging to Him. And when we lose sight and connection with, with what we have here, right? What we have here this way, it's never going to be shown therefore then this way. In your testimony, and I trust that you have a testimony, I trust that I should be able to say to any one of you, okay, tell me, how did Christ seek you, find you? 
And if you stood up and said, let me tell you how my Savior sought me, found me, and bought me, no doubt you would talk to me and tell everyone else about the shocking kindness of Jesus in your life. Isn't that what's at the heart and soul of each one of our testimonies of God's saving grace in our life? He is so kind. He is so good. He has been so patient. Little old me. He's been so good. That was Paul's testimony. He's doing his thing. Persecuting the church. And he's met with the shocking kindness of Jesus who saves him. And what oozes from the life of the Apostle Paul Shocking kindness. He's in the jail in Philippi. They're set free, right? Earthquake, set free, gates open, get out of here, right? Clearly the Lord doesn't want you in here anymore. And the Philippian jailer is going to kill himself. Paul says, nope, nope, we're all here. We're all, it's all good. I know the gates are open. I know we can we, we leave now. We're, we're, we're here. We're here. Showed shocking kindness. Didn't say, stinking Philippian, off yourself, you loser. No, didn't say that. We're here. Let me share the gospel with you. Kindness. Shocking kindness. And the minute we step outside of our understanding of God's love to us in His patience, in His kindness, that's when it all all breaks down in our lives. That's what allows us to not be patient and not be kind. The world now more than ever needs to see the distinctiveness of our otherness and our love for Christ that we will not compromise His Gospel. We will not compromise His Word. We will not surrender His truths. But nor will we allow ourselves to be the offense in the way that we act in the way that we live. Because we've been saved by love. And we are called to show the distinctiveness of our otherness in that love. Corey Tenboom, if you've ever heard of her, she's one of my favorites. Maybe I shouldn't say that because some of her some of her teaching can be a little bit off at points. I, I get that, I, I know that, but there are so many things about Corey Tenboom that I have grown to love over the years. She tells a story of giving her testimony and telling her story. If you didn't know, she was, um, she was interned in a concentration camp during World War II um, at, at a place called Ravensbrook. Her entire family was, was put to death along with her dear and beloved sister. And uh, anyway, so she, she's in Ravensbrook, and, and it was a just a horrible existence that she experienced. Anyway, so after World War II, she's telling her story about what, what God had done in her life and, and, and how God was at work even in a camp of death. There is very much the, the, the God of life showing himself in so many visible and tangible ways. And, and so after she gives her talk, 
um, and it was in Germany that she was giving this actually, um, that, a, that a German man came up to her and, and said, Miss Tinboom, um, I was one of the guards at Ravensbrook. And she immediately recognized the man as being one of the most brutal, one of the most brutal guards in the entire camp. She recognized him. He didn't recognize her, but she definitely knew who he was. And, and he said, Miss Tinboom, I'm a Christian. The Lord has forgiven me of all of my sins. And he said, will you forgive me? And, and Tinboom says, just, just in that nanosecond, she, she says in her mind, absolutely, positively, no. <laughs> no. How could I ever forgive? You are the barbaric guard of Ravensbrook. Forgive you? And again, she says in this nanosecond that's taking place in her mind, she says to the Lord, Lord, I can't. But you can. And it's because you can that I can. You see that? You see that connection? Instead of just going out here and going, how am I supposed to be patient with them? How am I supposed to be kind to them? She, she goes here and she goes, Lord, you have been patient to me. You have been kind to me. She looks this way and then goes that way. And that's what we need to learn. The reality is, most of us are not going to be called to live out patience and kindness to Nazi guards from concentration camps. Ours is going to be a little bit probably more mundane. When on the first day of summer vacation, our younger sibling wakes us up at 7 a.m. with their loud noise, and we had every intention of sleeping in until 11 a.m., or as long as mom and dad would let us. And the little sibling didn't. And so now we fly off the handle. That's where this shows itself. Patience. Kindness. It shows itself in the interactions that we have with each other as spouses. It shows itself when we go back to our assisted living, our nursing homes, our rest homes, and that high school workers making minimum wage. She messed up the, the peaches that I wanted with the pears that I ended up getting. And, and we fly off the handle. Why can't you? It's at that moment that we patience, kindness. It's in the mundane that we show our otherness of belonging to the one who has saved us. That's where we need to strengthen these muscles. If only it were these muscles. There are some other muscles we got to work. And God willing, we're going to look at that this afternoon. So until then, will you pray with me? Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to realize that the power and the profoundness of this text is going to be lived out in the mundane. 
of everyday life where we show to each other what we've received from You, our Lord and our God. And Father, we recognize as weird and as odd as this may be, that we need to confess our lack of patience and our lack of kindness. And I say, Lord, this is weird because we are coming to You acknowledging our lack of patience and kindness and coming to You for Your patience and kindness in the face of not showing it. It feels so hypocritical that we take from you what we have refused to show to others. And so, Lord, may we, through the invitation of your word, take from you your forgiving love, your patience and your kindness, and be resolved, not in guilt, but in love to go forward with the exercising of the pull and insist that in our lives there be this. This kind of agape. This kind of love. Love that is patient. Love that is kind that has a deeper root than simply being nice people, but it's rooted in being Christian people, followers of the cross. So help us to reflect on this. Help us to live from this. And may you, our Lord and our God, receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.